All right. Welcome, everybody, to Theology Thursday. I know I've said something about it every single week, but like the level of professionalism that I feel when Kevin hits that theme song. That's what happens when you got K-Dog back on the, on the tech tables. That's true. And you can tell my level of professionalism by the fact that the audio on my computer was on when I started. Now, what, which what was playing, though? Our live stream, but like, you know, with oh. the 15-second delay. <laughs> okay. What are you drinking there? So the people. this is a little guru energy drink. Apparently, these people were promoting their energy drink at a gas station, giving away for free. Yeah, now we're so giving them a Stan, free commercial on our people, giant platform. That's going to cost you. That's going to cost you some, at least some free energy drink. Kevin said it would bring out the red in my shirt. Um, so that's the main reason why we decided to bring it on camera. Um, it's good. It's good. So good to see you guys who are all here live. Thank you for being here. I see we've already got some, some questions coming in and stuff. That's great. Um, we're talking about the end of the world. That's what this whole kind of series is about. Um, we've been talking about doing this since the beginning. And actually, um, people were asking about an eschatology series on Theology Thursday mm -hmm. before it started to feel like the world might be ending. Yeah, it's sort of always one of those things that everyone wants to talk about. Yeah. It's like, can we do a series on this? Can we do a series on this? And now, you know, 2020, it's sort of like, it's probably relevant. Yeah, you might need less of like an abstract theological discussion and more of a, a field guide to surviving the apocalypse as it happens. Yeah, actually, this whole show is just going to be on how to build a bunker. <laughs> yeah. How, how to clean, drill a well in your backyard. Yeah, how to store up food. Um, but yeah, it, it really, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it, if you started to just list all of the things that have happened in the last six months, it would be like a joke. I said it at, when I was preaching a sermon in Hollister. I was like, if I went and pitched to a movie studio, like, okay, there's a disaster movie. Yeah, disaster movie. About this year where all these things happen. And then I just listed what has actually happened. Yeah. It became a joke at the killer bees. Yeah, exactly. And that was Our, like 10 disasters ago. It was 10 disasters <laughs> ago. I just picture a movie executive being like, this is an unrealistic. No concept. one's going to believe that. Um, t dial it back. It was all fine until, you know, 10,000 lightning strikes during the hottest week of the year. Yeah. Lit, you know, a million acres on fire. So it is crazy. And, and like, you know, again, we were going to do eschatology anyway, but We've seen, and I'm sure most of you guys have also seen, a serious uptick in memes about the end of the world and people sharing posts about the end of the world and kind of a, a general sense that like, hey man, if you're a Christian, get ready because the apocalypse is coming. It's upon us. And so one thing, you know, I say stuff like this on Theology Thursday all the time, but um, we want to have you guys have like a low feeling of self-judgment if we're talking about stuff that sounds familiar, we're not trying to call any specific people out. So if we're talking about memes or showing memes and you're like, Oh my gosh, I think that I, sh I think I shared that this is just, this is a learning environment. We're going to try to talk about all this stuff in as neutral a way as possible. We don't want, we're not trying to call people out. So cause half the stuff we got was from Kevin's Facebook page. That's stuff true. That he post. That's true. And we just said, man, we got, we got to work through some of these theological issues, man. You're a pastor on staff. Yeah. You're, you're with us. So, you know, we might as well say it. This entire thing is just a cover for us to correct Kevin's eschatology. It's true. It's true. Kevin, can you show the people your beautiful smiling face or at least Look, your face? There up. he is. He's cracking up <laughs> him with his bad theology. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, look how fast we go off the rails when there's not a professional guest on Skype with us. Um, but so here's the deal. Here's what we're really trying to get at is um, most of us. And I've, again, when we talk about theology, our theology comes through on accident. So if you don't do theology on purpose, you're still going to do theology. You're just going to do it on autopilot. And so many Christians, probably the majority of evangelical Christians in the modern world, do not have a clear understanding of their own view of the end of the world. So wouldn't, would you agree with that? That like when it comes to eschatology, the average Christian doesn't really know what they think. Either? Yeah. Mo it's, it's actually true of most things. Theologically speaking is you'll believe, let's say a, B, C, D, F, and G, but you haven't thought out are all of these different mm. items consistent with each other. So most of us, and it's, it's, it's everybody. When you examine your theology, you go, Oh, I've always believed this, but I always believe this. How can those two things be theologically consistent. Yeah. And so we don't have a system or a framework to make sense of it on a much larger area. Yeah. And that happens within eschatology, right? You have like a, a hodgepodge of different assumptions about how the world ends, but they're not integrated with one another and they're not necessarily integrated with scripture. So, you know, right now, if you were to ask, you know, 
is Jesus reigning in heaven or not? Or does that not happen until later? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what is the significance of this is like, a, you know, this is a spicy one, but what's the significance of, of ethnic Israel in the current modern day nation yeah. state form that they're in? Are things going to get worse until Jesus comes or are they going to get better until Jesus comes? Um, you might find either you've never thought about it or you have an assumption about it that you've never really thought all the way through. And so uh, in this series, we're going to talk through like tonight, we're talking about millennial views um, the different views of the thousand year millennium in the book of revelation. We're going to talk about uh, throughout the course of the series, the rapture doomsday prophecies, the horsemen of the apocalypse, um, how to properly and improperly read the book of revelation. Um, and, and here's the key from the get go. We want to have both, you know, on the show, but also among you guys who are watching a, a generosity of spirit about this with views that you either don't agree with or aren't familiar with. Um, and then also just, you know, a, an ability or an open-mindedness to question your own assumptions about what the Bible says about the end of the world. We're not going to tell you what to believe. And, and I mean, my goal would be to not even have the viewer know what you and I yeah, believe. Yeah, if we, if we do a good job, we're going to outline different views and you shouldn't know what we think. We don't want, it's very difficult to present something in an unbiased way, but that's what we're going to try to do. Our goal is to say, this is this view, this is this view, this is this view. Here's the reasons why very brilliant people think this one. Here's the reason why very brilliant people think this one and so on. And then hopefully have you um, do the work of saying, well, does that add up? And hopefully you can challenge yourself to see if you're being consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And ideally, you know, you'll, you'll, examine all of these as objectively as we're going to try to present them. And then, you know, weigh does the view you started with fit what you see in the text um, and the rest of your theological framework. But if you guess Isaac's millennial view correctly, Kevin Curzonabe is going to hand deliver an iPad pro to you. That's the prize. So if by the end of the night you can guess Isaac's millennial view um, in the chat, Kevin has promised to buy an iPad pro. Any guesses? (laughs) He's saying no. Um, so yeah, now uh, there's in a stream, there's always going to be a a variety of people's different kind of knowledge levels and stuff like that. So we'll do our best to explain everything. If you have questions, like always, you can ask them in the chat box, depending on the depth of your question, we may, um, we'll either, you know, address them kind of at the end of the final episode of the series, or, you know, if it's relevant and it works, we'll address it as it comes up. So we can see your questions as they come in. So feel free to make questions or comments. Um, all right, let's get into it. Yeah. Kevin, you want to bring up that first slide? Because this, this is a winner. Um, this is a meme that everyone has seen and many of you have shared. I'll read it for you because some of you might be watching on a small screen. It says, me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. And this is really kind of the reason why we're doing the series. Because, man, again, when the sky turns orange, yeah, it's, it's, you're like, okay, I think... I had a non-Christian friend of mine actually text me and say you know, Hey, is this, is this the end? He was joking. And I said, could be, I said, maybe, but probably not. That was my answer. Could be. <laughs> um, so tonight it's about millennial views though. We're going to talk about the millennium. So if you're not familiar with what that is, um, it's, it's a situation that's described. It's actually amazing how contentious it is because it's described in a very, very short section of scripture. It's six verses towards the end of the book of revelation. Um, and it describes this thousand-year period um, that has a lot of questions about it. And there's three dominant views that we're going to explore tonight. Um, but let's start by reading that passage. If you could bring up the Bible here, Kevin. New technology. Let's see if it works. Oh, I yeah. Am. Oh, and look, Bam. there I am on it. Kevin, man. Hey, but, but can you put me on it instead? Can you put Isaac on it instead? This is testing. Nope. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I see how it is, You man. know what? I think I Kevin has is. a microphone, but I actually like... Kevin better when he just shows up and either nods. It's all or, through body language. Yeah. Kevin, do you like it? Like, do you like that? Do you like just, he does. <laughs> See? That's awesome. All right, let's read these, these verses. This is from Revelation chapter 20, which again is towards the end. There's only a couple chapters left after this verses one through six. And I'll try to track because we're going to unpack what different views of this are after we read it. It says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. 
Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. We'll talk about some of that stuff later on in the series too, I think. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Crystal clear, right? Got it all figured out. Got it all figured out. If you don't get it just by reading that, um, on. that's on you. No, uh, you can see immediately why this is something that gets debated all the time, right? I mean, that's like in a book that's already confusing, yeah, super confusing stuff. But I will say... Um, the, you saw, as we're reading, over and over, it was five or six times it mentions this thousand-year period. And so the question that all of the different millennial, it's called millennial views because mil, a millennium is a thousand years, right? And um, the question that is, there's a couple questions, but the central question that's being asked by these different views is, when does that thousand-year mm -hmm. period take place relative to the second coming of Jesus? Mm -hmm. So does Jesus come before that thousand-year reign? If you believe he comes before, then you are pre-millennial, before the millennium. Does he come after that thousand-year reign? You're post-millennial. Um, and then the other kind of secondary question is, are we talking about a concrete historical thousand years, or are we talking about a thousand years as a symbol of some other length of time? Um, and so if you believe, again, I'm being overly general here, but if you believe that it's a symbolic millennium, then you would be classified as amillennial, which means there's no millennium. Um, yeah, and what help the the prefixes actually help in this, and so much in theology, it's like this doesn't yeah. help me understand what this is. But again, to review, pre, before the before, millennium, post, after, and then ah, it's similar to the word atheism. Ah, theism, theism is a word for for God. So atheism is no God, and ah, millennialism is no millennium. And as Sam said, that it, it, there's different versions of that, so it can get nuanced differently. But it's either in ah, millennialism, it's either symbolic or it's taking place in a way that's not literally concrete here on earth. Right. Yeah. And again, we're going to broad brush all of these because there's a million versions of each one, but we just want to get a general understanding of them. There's a really, really good chance that if you grew up evangelical or even not even grew up, but if you've been evangelical since say the nineties, yeah, um, that you will default to a premillennial view. Would you say that's true? Yeah. I don't want to overstate that. Yeah. Um, so again, if that's you come to this with an open mind, we're going to talk about all three of them. And it's really important to say up front, all three of these views are orthodox. They're allowed within faithful Christianity yeah. held by brilliant people who are smarter than both of us. Um, and so we're not, again, we're not trying to push you to any one of them. Let's start with post millennialism. Um, so we got some memes that we're going to start by looking at, because I actually think not only are they funny, but they sort of, number one, they help, they'll help us kind of explain the, the caricature of each of these. So views. by making fun of something, it becomes easier to understand, That's which true. affirms one of my favorite practices yeah. among my peers is and staff. I'm <laughs> <laughs> by making fun of you. I'm actually helping others understand. Well, if that's true, then thank you for making me <laughs> more understandable for years and years of my life. Yeah. So making fun of it makes it easier to understand. It's also going to hopefully expose some kind of like straw man versions yeah, that's of the these point. views. That's the point. All, a meme unfortunately, because it's the main way we communicate now, like it's not a great way to fully explain something. So we're going to go through some memes, point out what they're trying to expose about the view, and then we'll give like a fully fleshed out nuanced. Oh, I don't normally do this, but Chris Grimes appeared in the chat, everybody. Oh, mine. Oh, Chris Grimes. Oh, mine. Grimes, welcome. Good to see you. Um, all right, let's start. So let's look at some post-millennial memes. Kevin, you want to show us that first one? If these are hard to read, again, I'll try to read them for you. They're not actually super easy for me to read either. All right, this is a great one. This is SpongeBob showing his imagination rainbow of like joy and positivity. And it just says post-millennialism. If you're familiar with that episode of SpongeBob, then you know he says post-millennialism. Really I'm happy not with. familiar with it, Sam. I had little siblings, Isaac, and I'll blame it on them. But... Um, so what is this meme getting at, would you say? It's pretty simple. Yeah, so post-millennialism is one of the more, it's, it is the most optimistic view of the three views. So what we'll, we'll talk about in a moment is post-millennialism sees the world after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on a trajectory, and the church is going to basically 
evangelize the nations, the world will come to Jesus. It doesn't mean every last person on earth is going to become a Christian, but generally speaking, the gospel will go out. Things will get better because the church will grow. And as the nations become Christianized, the world will become a better place. So a mockery of it is this sort of like, it's all getting better. It's all good. Christians just keep, keep, growing and growing and the church is okay. Yeah. And so that's a perfect segue into the next one. If you can throw that up, Kevin, this one's hard to read and it's the most complicated, but it's my favorite one. The ladder going up to the top of this death slide says post-millennial in 2019. And then the top of the slide says January, 2020. And then there's a steep death drop off that says pre-millennialism. And the idea here is in contrast to post-millennialism, pre-millennialism could be characterized as the most pessimistic of the views that the yeah. world is going to get worse and worse. So the point this meme is trying to make is you feel all optimistic and happy. Everything's great in 2019, yeah. six months of 2020, and you're going to be pre-millennial. Yeah, you, last year, you were borderline <laughs> going to be a post-millennialist. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, nope, the world is going bad real quick. And so you, you kind of start to, to come down. Hard to be post-millennial in 2020 after your 10th crisis. Want to throw yeah. up the next one, Kev? Yeah, post-millennials during the rapture be like, and then you've got, is that, is that, that's, that's my friend Mary, right? I always get Mary yeah. and Pippin mixed up. Mary Adok from uh, Lord of the Rings says, right, where are we going? So this is the making fun of the fact, um, or at least poking fun at the fact that post-millennialists do not believe in a rapture. There's not going to be a, a rapture because there's not going to be a tribulation mm -hmm. as literally as described in the book of Revelation. So if you're a post-millennial and the rapture suddenly happens, you're going to be like, wait, what? Where, yeah, where's everybody yeah, going? Exactly. Um, and again, that's, it's sort of poking fun at the general optimism of things. I think that might be the last one. It's not like I'm the one who made the slideshow. Yeah. Okay. So we can leave that one up for a minute, Kevin, and, and we'll kind of explain what this view really is. So again, the, the caricature of post-millennialism is that it's pie in the sky. Everything's going to be great. Mm -hmm. um, and the world's just going to keep getting better and better until Jesus returns. Um, and so those memes are caricaturing that and basically saying like, well, if stuff's getting bad, then post-millennialism can't be true. Yeah. But the truth is, as you said, a nuanced post-millennialism doesn't mean everything always gets steadily perfect forever. It yeah. totally allows for hard times and thing, place, thing. And a post-millennialist could rightly say, yeah, stuff's bad in the West right now, but dude, look at the church growing in Africa and China and it's other parts up. of the world. The, the gospel spreading across the world like never before. And that's a fact. And so you might have a a significantly stronger attack upon the church in certain areas, but as a whole, Christianity is still going forth. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the, the stronger arguments is just the trajectory of history is you have this tiny, small group of first century followers of Jesus, um, believing in a crucified and resurrected Lord and century after century, they not only persevere, but it grows. Yeah. It's working. In a sense, yeah. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that there are more Christians now than there ever have been in human history, and it increases steadily over time. Yeah, and more people claim to be followers of Jesus than any other person or God on the face of the earth right now. Yeah. So, so to back step back a little bit, the idea of postmillennialism again is that the thousand-year time that the dragon is bound, the dragon is Satan. He's bound in this pit in a symbolic sense. Yes. And because he's there. He cannot stop the spread of the gospel. Yeah, and most post-millennials will say that Satan cannot blind the nations anymore. Right. So in the Old Testament, you had God primarily working through Israel. Um, but since the gospel has come out, the nations are no longer blinded, and the gospel is effective. Now, what's interesting for us is, and maybe we could talk about this later, but this gets into other areas of theology. So if you are high on the sovereignty of God, you're big on the fact that God is sovereign over all things. And what he sets out to do, he's going to accomplish it. Well, for the post-millennial, they'll say, didn't Jesus said, yeah, Bap go to all the nations, baptize them. I'm going to be with you always. Yeah. Preach the gospel. This gospel will be preached to yes. the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Exactly. Um, or to all nations. So mix two so things the together. So the higher, typically if you have a high sovereignty understanding of the nature of God, then you're more, you're more, just prone to be optimistic about the future. Hey, God's in control. Yeah. And this and is what the, the post-millennialists, I was actually, it's funny, I meant to say this earlier, but there, I actually was in like a, a friendly debate. I wasn't part of it. I was observing a friendly debate between two friends of mine, one who's post-millennial and one who's pre-millennial. And the post-millennial said the very reasonable argument that, hey, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, 
does he know they're going to fail and it's all going to get worse and worse? Or is he telling them to go do something that they can actually do through his, his power? And so that's the idea you're saying here is that yeah, Jesus said he could do it. He has the power to do it. Has all authority in heaven and on earth been given to him or not? Yeah, um, exactly. And so part of it, and this is where the view gets uh, more controversial, is there's an expectation by some postmillennialists, um, and you could tell me in your opinion, you know, what percentage of them, that that will lead to worldwide Christian government even, or at least predominantly Christian government. It's called theonomy, that the idea that it's a, a, a government run by Christians according to Christian values and Christian yeah. laws. And that's cert- that was much more common early on in, in American life. And in the, it's significantly died down in the last hundred years, but there was something called Christian reconstructionists and there was various forms of that. And one of those within that, there was an idea of theonomy, like you said, where the governments will be, be Christianized. Um, that's still there. There's still a lot of that out there, but most post-millennialists now that, that I've talked to and scholars that I've seen argue for it, they're more concerned with the gospel going out and right. less concerned about the nations in a civil sense becoming Christianized right. so that God's l- moral laws are instituted right. in a legal sense. Although, even if you think the gospel goes out, you'll, you'll, you'll still believe that Christian morals will be right. enacted. They'll be, but they'll be one, valued and they'll yes, grow. Yes, but one is implicit, like one is, it's secondary. One is primary and then the right. other view is secondary. Yeah, and then there's also the expectation among many post-millennialists that general conditions on earth will improve. So like, you know, Christians through Christian ingenuity will do things even like um, improve, you know, the curing of diseases and yeah. technology and feeding the hungry and making it so everyone has access to healthcare and clean water and these things that Christians are, are striving towards. The post-millennial expects that that will continue to get better and better and better and that Christianity will solve many, if not all, of the world's pragmatic issues as well. Um, anything else on that before we move to the next? No. So the, here's, the, here's the question, and this is kind of part of what we're trying to get at here. We said at the beginning that we're in a time in the world where the world ending soon in a premillennial way seems really natural. Like you're kind of, like yeah. you look at what's going on and go like, Jesus has got to come soon because the world's on fire and I can't see the sun. Yeah. Um, but depending on when you lived in history and just the straight up historical record shows this, that what was happening in the world at different times led predominant numbers of Christians to one or another of these views at different times in history. And sometimes understanding that could help you see how your present moment might lead you towards a certain view. Yeah. So for, for the post-millennial, the clearest example of that is the kind of the foundation of America and the Puritans who came to the new world. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards was post-millennial, B.B. Warfield, um, much a, a big chunk of the Reformed tradition, um, and the Puritans. And it, it was this basic idea is that, you know, um, we've come to a new land. We're starting a, a, a new government, a new way of life, and we're going to implement Christian values and ethics and morals, and we're going to watch the fruit of that. It's and like real theonomy. Like this is going to be a Christian nation in a literal sense that will spread Christianity. Yeah. And, and that's what was, was, was occurring. And you're, you know, you're living in a small village and look, if you're living in a small village, there's a good chance 99% of everyone in that small village is a Christian and wants to see Christian ideals, morality, and ethics. And then you're seeing the fruit of it. You're seeing the, the good fruit of cultures submitting themselves to the gospel. Right. So the great awakening is followed by the scientific revolution. It's like, and look, there's some really good things. Yeah, we're curing diseases. Things are happening and they were, but um, as you said, things could make you lose your optimism yeah. very easily. Yeah. And so what maybe we could ask in the chat. Yes. So let's say you have, you know, the civil war, the abolition of test slavery time, was a big time. thing for post millennials that we, the, the, We've abolished slavery and it just seems like, you know, the church is going to march forward towards perfection under these human Christian governments. What happened? What year? Let's ask it that way. What year would you think? There's a couple right answers. Yeah. Yeah. But a pick few. a year. Pick a year that might be a year where a bunch of post-millennialists would go off that slide that you we You went showed. from SpongeBob, it's all going to be okay, to better build the bunker, man. Right. What, what might have happened? 
put in the chat. Don't be afraid. Somebody and Michael Perez asked if we could define the difference between pre and post. And yeah, we, we will get there. So we're talking about post-millennialism right now, Michael. And we're going to talk about amillennialism next and then pre after that. So hopefully by the Hang end, in there. we'll have hit all of them. Um, also, while we're waiting for people to guess a year, Lori Duffy said she was paying such close attention that she burnt her husband's German chocolate cake topping. Which Ryan, pre-millennial dispensation. It's, that's it's true. The, end the world's 2020. ending. Although, you know, I'm... I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go out on a. You shouldn't do it. You don't think I should? Should we be putting almond extract in chocolate cake? That's the question. This is the theological question of our time. It's a rough one, man. It's a rough question. So okay, a couple guesses came in. Matea Britt says 1941, that's which a is good a one. great. That's, that's, that's a one of the acceptable answers. Acceptable answer. Or one of the right answers. Yeah. Joey Rivera says 9/11, which is a great example. That's, that's much another later, good example. That's a, another great example. Matt Kirkland says Bay of Pigs. Jeff Wagner says 1968. And what all of these people are getting at is a time when something horrible yes. happened in human history. Yeah. I would have started with 1914. Yeah, the, the big historically, all of, all of those answers great are great, answers. perfect. But historically where you saw a big shift from post-millennialism to pre-millennialism was World War One, and then subsequent World War Two. Yeah. I mean, World War One. No, no one had ever seen anything like this. Yeah, we we weren't even capable of doing. It. Even if a thousand years ago, even if the whole world wanted to go to war with each other, you couldn't do it. Right. You didn't have the technology, the transportation, and now all of a sudden you have the nations going to war with each other. I mean, World War One was called the war to end all wars. Right. There's a reason why it's called the World War, and I mean. And especially, that's true. This is true of World War One also, but especially World War Two. And this is key for the post-millennial view. It's not just that people are being horrible to each other and the world is falling apart. It's also that the most advanced nations, so primarily Christian nations, depending on how you define that term, and then also just nations that had developed the most. So the world's supposed to get better and better and usher in this golden age, right? But yeah, it's it was Germany, the, most the most educated, advanced, and even if you don't, I mean, you can, like you said, you can argue about what makes constitutes a real Christian, but either way, what you cannot argue is these were Christianized nations, highly educated Christianized nations that were going to war. And it wasn't just them. They were, by the end, everyone was being brought in. Everyone's picking sides. Um, Certainly there was tons of nations that didn't get involved, but you had so many of the world power players getting involved. And then if you happen to get out of world war one, and then you realize, oh, great, this wasn't the war to end all wars. You have World War II, and if anything looked like biblical prophecy was being oh, fulfilled, man. it's you have a a charismatic leader who's uniting certain nations, and he's killing, there's genocide. And who's he doing it to? God's chosen right. people, the Jewish people. They're putting barcodes on people's wrists to identify them, taking away their name. So, I mean, it is like, this is it. Yeah, hard this to, is the end. It's hard to imagine not having that view. How right? c- uh, yeah, I, I always say, how could you not think the end was and not es- near? Especially if you're, you know, if, if you're alive for all of this stuff, and at some point, you know, along those sa- around that same time period or a little bit later, in 1948, Israel becomes a sovereign nation and is in the Holy Land, and you're kind of going like, well, this sure looks like it's going to line up. Yeah. Um, and that's where having some, you know, part of why we do this historical discussion is to have some historical humility and realize like, dude, Whatever you think about the eschaton, if you were alive during that time paying attention, it would have been very, very hard difficult to not have that. Beat. Yeah, and it's a greater lesson for theology as a whole is you have to realize how much your culture influences your theology. Um, you want your theology to be extracted from the scriptures. Right. That's what you want, but you have to be careful and always be on guard because your culture is shaping your interpretation more than you know, way more than you know. Uh, and so you want to say, okay, what cultural blind spots do I have? What, where are they? Um, and there's ways to help with your cultural blind spots. Listen to other voices. Listen to people who are older than you, younger yeah, than you. From different, different parts culture, of the world. Different parts you. of the world, different Christians, for, different Christians from different time periods. So how did a 5th century Christian read this text compared to a christian in the 21st century and you, you they reading those different sources helps you balance out your blind spots but culture i mean it 
it has the ability to shape your theology more than you know. So you got to be careful. Yeah. So we could stick here all day and we got to keep moving, but just know again, there's the giant wave of postmillennialism was, was disrupted hugely by what's called the myth of progress with the first world war. And then the second world war where progress as a whole did not seem to be making humanity better the way it was expected to. That's not to say that it's not a, a reasonable view. It's still an incredibly reasonable view, great arguments for it, good arguments against it. But that's kind of historically what made a shift happen there. And the second one we went, Oh, by the way, a couple of people, their, their comments came in a little after we talked about it, but um, Janos guest in 1917. Yeah. Robert Trout threw in post world war one. Mm -hmm. So um, good, yeah. good input. Everybody appreciate that. Now, the second view um, is going to be amillennialism. Chris Grimes says 1983, which I believe is the year Depeche Mode's album. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that actually might be a reference to the year I was born. If that's true, what a friend. Hey, happy birthday, by the way. Every, Isaac's birthday, he loves this kind of thing. Isaac's birthday yeah. was last week. Yes. Uh, Sunday. Sunday. He turned 37. This year he remembered his last year. You didn't remember how old I've you were. I've already forgotten how old I was <laughs> and it's like not even a joke I had to have friends call me up and correct me yeah Chris Grimes though he knows the year you're born he's a he's a, he's a real OG man so amillennialism amill um oversimplification here like always but the millennium is symbolic according to the, the amillennial view it's symbolic um and there will be one cluster of end time events that all happen at the return of Jesus there's not going to be some stuff before the millennium then a literal thousand year millennium then some more stuff. It's we're in a symbolic millennium right now since the resurrection of Jesus. And the similar to postmillennialism, the dragon is bound, meaning the gospel can go forth. Mm -hmm. um, but amid trial and tribulation, mm -hmm. not necessarily in a positive trajectory where it'll always get better and better. Um, and then there will be one cluster of end time events when Jesus returns at the end. Anything to add to that? No. And just again, as we've said, but we'll always say this is, if you're in one of these camps, you might be saying, well, that's not how I understand my amillennialism. That's not, and right. so we're talking very broad terms. One of the, one of the newer sort of variations that in um, amillennialism is, is seen, not that the millennium is symbolic, but that it's literally occurring in heaven right now. So in that view, it's the location that right. is significant, not the wind, but the location. And so again, just, I and say that And the thousand years isn't literal. The yes. thousand years is symbolic of a long time. Of a long time. Um, it's the book of Revelation. There's a lot of images and metaphors and symbols in there. And so a thousand just means a lot, a lot, a lot, lot of time. But that it's not saying that Christ's rule is just symbolic. They mean it quite literally. Yeah. It's just happening in the heavenlies. Yeah. And so we can expect, it's sort of a balanced view in the sense of, we can expect that the gospel will go forth unhindered in a sense, but amidst trial and tribulation. Satan can no longer deceive the nations, but there will still be suffering and difficulty yeah. until the second coming of Jesus. Um, and so there's not going to be an idealist, idealized time of like earthly rule among God's people, the way most versions of post-millennialism will describe it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be amid trial and, and tribulation. Yes, there'll be various ups and downs. But what's funny is even within amillennialism, you can have, again, the pessimistic view and an optimistic right. view. So in a pessimistic amillennialism, there's ups and downs, but man, you're going to have a lot more downs and it may get really rough before, before the end. A, a optimistic view of the of amillennialism looks kind of like post-millennialism where, yeah, there's ups and downs, but in general, Christ is, is, is ruling and reigning, whether that's symbolic or in the heavenlies, the gospel's still going forward. So um, when you're going through something, no, that's not the final word. Yeah. Christ is, is conquering. Yeah. Now let's, we, we went a little out of order because I thought it would help us understand the memes better. Okay. But let's throw up, now that we got a rudimentary idea, let's throw these memes up. Okay. This is hard to read from this far away. But this is a Bob Ross painting where, you know, Bob Ross in his typical happy fashion. Kind of look like Kevin, man. It looks a little bit like Kevin. Kevin, do you agree that that looks like you? I just want to see Kevin do his. Oh, <laughs> it looks exactly like exactly him. Exactly right like him. So Bob Ross says he's got his picture and he says a little hermeneutical gymnastics there, a touch of spiritualization there. Yeah. Now the verse supports amillennialism. Mm -hmm. So what's, the, what's this meme getting at? Yeah. One of the accusations against amillennialism is that You'll take verses that seem to be saying something and because it doesn't fit your theology, you go, oh, well, it's just symbolic. 
So the right. scriptures say a thousand years. You go, oh, well, it's not yeah. really a thousand years. Or they it's say, hey, there will be one resurrection, and then there will be a second resurrection. Yeah. And the amillennialist says, well, the first resurrection is either the death of the martyr, whereby mm-hmm. he goes into the heavenlies to rule alongside Jesus, mm-hmm. as described, or it's even you know the regeneration of the Christian into new life. But either way, it's spiritual and symbolic. And somebody who's really committed to a more concrete reading of Revelation yeah. goes, well, anytime you hit a, a problem thing, you just spiritualize it. Yeah, and that comes out a lot with, there's Old Testament prophecies, and this gets into something about uh, a debate between covenant theology and dispensationalism, where when you're reading the Old Testament, it says certain things will occur to ethnic Israel. Amillennialists will get accused of just looking at those texts and going, oh, well, since that hasn't happened yet, um, that's just talking about symbolic Israel or the church is now that Israel. And so they get accused of just doing some exegetical gymnastics and making things symbolic, spiritual, or metaphoric to get out of problematic passages. Anytime it seems like their views contradicted, they could just go, oh, well, that's, you're you're reading it literally and that's meant to be. And the amillennialists will say, I'm doing, I'm reading the text the way Paul read the text. This is the way apocalyptic literature is supposed to be read. Yeah, so that's so that's a good example of a character. You want to throw up the next one? The next two are really similar, um, and they're kind of along similar lines to what we just saw, but a little bit more dramatic. So this is you know a great Drake meme template that I love. The top one, if you can't read it, is representing premillennial, a premillennial view. This is actually a pro-millennial meme, but it still gets at one of the criticisms. Yeah. So it shows all this complex stuff, making all these timelines work out, and then the bottom, the one that Drake approves, is the amillennial view that is just very, Super very simple. simple. You want to jump to the next one? Cause it's very similar. That tangled mess. It says the book of revelation, when you are raised disp, which means dispensational, that's something we may or we'll probably talk about in a second, yeah. but it mean, they mean something similar to premillennial, um, and convert to amillennial. And they're basically saying, again, you have this tangled web of confusing stuff you're trying to work out. But then if you're amillennial, yeah. it flattens it. Now these are both pro amillennial, but it actually represents that same kind of critique that Everything is just a little too easy for the amillennial. If anything complicated, you just go, yeah. oh, no, no, no. It's not The strength easy. of amillennialism is that it's the easiest to understand. There's a problem passage in Revelation about a, this thousand-year reign and this going on. It's like, bro, we're in it right now. It's symbolic. We're in it right now. Christ is ruling and reigning. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. Next question type yeah. of thing. Um, where in typically in a more, and we'll get to this in a, in a second, in a premillennial view, you'll have more of these texts needing to fit together and you needing to make like a timeline that makes it make sense. Right. Now what, so what time period, we talked about the, the Puritans and you know, the new, the new land of America yeah. for the postmillennial view. For the amillennial view, what's typically pointed to is the imperial church under Constantine. You want to kind of... Yeah, and so this is sort of the area that many... Um, in mainline denominations, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, a lot of people in those various traditions um, held to an amillennial view because historically it just looked like for nearly a thousand years, well, hey, Christ is ruling and reigning, and he's ruling and reigning in heaven, and on earth he's ruling through the church, and the church is going out, it's growing, it's influencing the world, so clearly we're in the millennial reign. And that was a dominant view for for yeah. uh, the longest time. And it's not necessarily in a post-millennial sense, like everything's going to be peaches and cream now. Like there's still barbarians to conquer. The world is wild and crazy. It's going to be hard. flexibility gave it the ability to last so long because it w- whether things were pessimistic or optimistic, you could kind of flex the view enough to, to fit the times. Yeah. And that lasted as kind of the predominant view for a huge percentage of the imperial church era. Yeah, and it's still, I mean, it's it's still super common. I mean, it's it's standard in many traditions and branches of Christianity to this. And again, man, put yourself in that position and in a world where there is no separation of church and state. I mean, you got like Charlemagne, who's the first real like emperor of all of Western Europe, gets the crown put on his head by By the the Pope Pope. in, in 800 AD. Yeah, now think about that symbolically for a second. What does it mean when the Pope puts the crown on the king? Who's in charge? Who is really in charge? And who is the Pope then representing Christ who is ruling and reigning in heaven? This is the millennial reign. And now earthly kings are appointed by the spiritual reality. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, it almost gives you chills to imagine the most powerful man 
in the Western world, Charlemagne the Great, mm-hmm. get down on one knee so that the leader of the, the Roman Christian church, church yeah. can put the crown on his head. I mean, again, it'd be very hard that, you know, there's still tribulations to come. Everyone in the Roman empire knows like Rome fell a few hundred years ago. We got a lot more fighting that still has to happen. It's going to yeah. be crazy, but we know who's in charge here and it's, you know, it's the church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, w- with some historical humility, we go, okay, if you were alive during that time, it would be very hard to not hold that view. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Isaac said, there's, this is still the predominant view in a, a gigantic chunk of the Christian world, not so much within evangelical Christianity in the States, but in many mainline denominations and yeah. the Orthodox church and the Roman Catholic church. Um, okay. Anything else to say about amillennialism before we, we keep cruising? Mm-hmm. We're uh, we got, we only got 20 minutes left. Okay, let's go. We could have done an episode on each one, but nobody would have wanted to hang out for the, for all of that. All right, let's bring up. So we've, we've kind of touched briefly on pre-mill um, as we've gone. We'll look at the memes first on this one. Um, Cause they're some of the best ones. But the basic idea, again, is that Jesus will return in power. This is the most complicated one to understand. Um, But Jesus will return in power before a literal thousand-year earthly reign. And during that time, depending on what brand of premillennial you are, a huge variety of things could happen. Everything from, you know, the the temple being rebuilt and Jesus reigning physically from Jerusalem— all the way up to kind of the church running the show. But there's a, the point is there's a thousand year reign on earth after Jesus returns. And after that thousand years, the dragon's released. There's another war. Armageddon happens and the final defeat of Satan and evil. And I guess the, maybe the easiest way to understand the premillennial view is that this is the view that seeks to make the most literal reading of, of revelation. So, um, and this is by far the biggest strength of this view is they just say, no, we're just reading it the way anybody reading it would read it. Yeah, if you read something in Ezekiel that says, well, the temple's going to be rebuilt and look like this. And if the temple hasn't been rebuilt and looks like this, then that hasn't happened. Then you're going to say, I trust God's word that that's going to happen. I'm not going to spiritualize it. I'm not going to make it a metaphor. I'm not going to make it a symbol. I take God's word seriously, and I'm waiting for that to happen still. Yeah, and so that goes... And, and that, that can have nuance and still have some symbolism sure, within yep, it. Yep. It goes from extremes of like the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye where it's, I mean, everything is exactly, literally what's described. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way to, you know, a, a, a more nuanced kind of mixture of, well, some of this is still symbolic, but by and large, the timeline of events and what's being described is actually going to happen. So with that in mind, you have to understand a little bit about pre-mill to get some of these memes. Um, this first one. So this is the opposite of amillennial. You have a professor standing in front of a blackboard with just crazy amounts of stuff written all over it and equations and stuff. And it says, and that's how you get the pre-trib rapture. Now, I wish there was one that said that's how you get premillennialism because that's what I was really looking for. Yeah. But, but part of why this is included here is because any view that has a pre-tribulation rapture is a premillennial view. It's part of it comes yeah. with the territory. It's, it's like in all of these things, there's various understandings and branches. But if you hold to a rapture that's followed by seven years of tribulation, then a Jesus setting up shop for a thousand years in a millennial reign, you're falling in that premillennial camp. And again, what the, the meme is trying to demonstrate is that there, already with that, there's a, a timeline that I just laid out yeah. and you have to figure out, okay, if the rapture happens before a tribulation, how long is the tribulation? Okay. If it's seven years, is it possible that the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation? Is, is it possible that it happens near the end? And in revelation, you have sequences, you have like the two witnesses who are killed and you have this happening yeah. and that happening. Yeah. The beast and, so and the beast gets a wound. The and beast gets the wound and you're, you're trying to figure out all these pieces that go in. And again, the strength of it to the premillennial is going, premillennialist is saying, I'm taking all these difficult verses and I'm doing my best to figure out a roadmap. Yeah. The amillennialist, what we just said, the compliment was that it's easiest to understand the critique, as you said before, it's like, dude, you just looked at all those verses and go, yeah, Meh. all of them are symbolic. Yeah. And so they can both, both proponents of both views can make fun of each other for precisely the same, like yes. the opposite things. And that's throw up the next one, Kev. Um, I think this might be my favorite one, if it's the one I'm picturing. Yes. So this uh, this has a little bit of historical context to it, but it says, the diet of John the Dispensationalist. Now, again, um, 
There's like been, five layers to that joke. Yeah, that's why I love it so much. I, I looked at that meme and I was like, I think I know like three people in the world who I can send this to who will even get what this joke is. And I sent it to all three of them. Um, so again, dispensationalist is a general view of God's way of interacting with people over all of history, but it's very strongly associated with premillennialism. Yeah. Um, without taking that, because we don't have time to unpack dispensationalism all the way. It's very complicated. But the general idea is that God interacts with humanity and his creation through a variety of different administrations during different chunks of time in history. Some versions have these seven kind of administrations or dispensations yeah. of God's rule, but the rules of how God interacts with people change over time. It also, um, one kind of important element of dispensationalism that's been very influential in United States evangelicalism is um, a very specific set-apart role for ethnic Israel even yeah. after the death and resurrection of and Jesus. And that brings us full circle to where we started, where what are you likely to believe right. in your current time context? Now, after World War II, you again had this evil dictator. He's rounding up ethnic Israel and slaughtering them, killing them, genocide, Holocaust. And then after that, in 1948, you have the nation of Israel reconstituted and given the land that was promised to them in the scriptures. Right. So then all of those... And the dispensationalist says that those promises to Israel are yet to be fulfilled. So God yeah. has to give And Israel so the, the amillennialists who used to say, well, that that's symbolic or that's true not of the Israel, that's true of the church. Now all of a sudden after 2,000 years, you're going, well, look at here. What do you know? Israel's brought back. They're back as a nation, and this is happening, and this is happening. Yeah, and that gave in in American culture that shaped our eschatology. Totally, it totally shaped. So, us. if you and, and again, this I'm not saying this for or against, but if you have in your gut a feeling that what happens to ethnic Israel is very important, and we need to support them at all costs, um, that's that is a influence of dispensationalism to a large degree. Yeah, it's it's influenced by that, and. Again, with all of these views, if you, I, I would say if you were alive in this time, I'd be like, I'd be this if I was alive right. in this side. If I was alive at this time, I'd be this. And that's why you have to check how much your theology is being influenced by your culture. Yeah. So ev there was a, a massive growth of pre dispensational premillennialism because there's also something called historic premillennialism yeah. that's that's significantly different in that that there's a there's not hard dispensationalism ingrained into it, but Israel's restored. They're in the land. And then for some of you who were alive in Christian Christian churches in the 80s and 90s, there was a real sense that the end is near, really close. Yeah. And they're going to rebuild the temple any minute. Then they're yeah. going to reinstitute temple sacrifices and Jesus is coming back. And part of that is influence. There's a verse where Jesus tells his disciples that the generation that sees these signs they will not taste death before the coming of the Son of Man. Right. So we actually got, believe it or not, because you can't see this, we got that question in the chat. Dude. That's amazing. Nice. Who Boom. asked it? Lori Duffy. So what happened coming out of that was people would say, okay, we are the generation in 1948 that are seeing the signs fulfilled. So and he's Jesus not talking to his first century audience. He's talking about a a generation. Yes, the generation that sees those signs. He was telling his disciples, but they would say he was telling his disciples that the generation that observes these things will be the generation that will not taste death before the coming of the Son of Man. And so what happened was, is people said, anyone who, the generation, 1948 generation, they're going to, that's the generation that's going to be alive for the second coming. Right. Um, and so what happened was there was a wind, there were certain clocks used and certain people would say okay it's going to be sometime within 30 years of 1948 that that generation to has to all be alive still that whole generation and then then the end didn't come and so people would say oh okay well actually it's in psalm 90 where god says he's going to limit the days of a man to 70 years then Plus seven, that's just a prominent biblical number in biblical general. number. 70 years happened and it didn't happen. And then people go, okay, it's not 70 years that counts a generation. They went to Genesis chapter 6 where God says he's going to limit the days that a man can age to 120 years. So then the clock went from 1948 plus 120 years, give or, give or take. And so what's happened, though, is in the last 10 years, you've seen a lot of people change from premillennialism 
to awe or post because that window from 1948 and 120 years, 70 years, 30 years, yeah. whatever clock you use, those they can't they were coming and going. So we're talking about these historic time periods and we're totally in the middle of one right now. Big time. Where there's a good reason why people are starting to suddenly shift. Now people were shifting and and the reason why we probably do you know it's so interesting to do this at the, at this time is that but then 2020 hit. Like if there was a there if there the meme is 2019 post millennial. Right. 2020, 2020 back pre, to dispensationalism. Back, we're, we're back to the end yeah, of the Yeah, and world. again, if you're not being super critical, you just go like, well, the moon's red. Isn't that like, that's in Revelation, right? And there's plagues and there's rumors of wars and there's, you know, and that's what we're going to touch on next week, yeah. not to get ahead of ourselves. Um, and Matt Kirkland asked, how did the first readers of Revelation understand what John was saying? Um, and of course, that's where all the debate is, but we're going to be talking about that in week three, mm-hmm. um, trying to kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're, we're living right now in the middle of, events that are absolutely going to shape the next generation of eschatology. Um, now, wait, before we go any further, Robert Trout is begging, explain the meme, because we put up that awesome meme and then got so distracted. Throw it back up, Kevin. Oh, so here's the idea. Oh, um, Come on, if man. you were a premillennial dispensationalist in the 80s and 90s, and you were reading a like a hyper-literal version of what you're seeing, there's parts in Revelation where John describes locusts that are like gigantic and destroying crops across the entire world, these swarms of locusts. And one in- interpretation that you saw was that this is talking about the Apache helicopter. Very popular in the 80s. A very specific type of helicopter. So say in the chat, if you were around, you remember like Hal Lindsey, who's still, who's still around, but Hal Lindsey had a show and had books. He had a book, a big, um, what's the name of his big book? Late Great Planet Earth. Oh man, um, Let me look and, at that. And in it, you're talking about these locusts, as Sam said, that are coming to destroy. Well, then they're going, well, what are these giant locusts? And you get the invention. And then of all the of a Apache. sudden you have these helicopters that in the sky look like locusts. And so the argument would be, as John is seeing these things as an ancient person, he has no categories to describe so he a helicopter. Says he's seeing a vision of the future and going, they're giant locusts. I don't know what they are. They're giant locusts. And so pair that with the fact that John the Baptist ate a diet of locusts and wild honey. And you have here the diet of hence, John the Dispensationalist. Hence, hence, the, hence the joke. So and, Ellen Waddell, by the way, says she remembers Hal Lindsey and kind of that era yeah, of Yeah, super popular. And what's and this is this is where you have to be humble because maybe now looking back, we go, oh, come on. The, the locusts were a specific type of, of helicopter. Right. But in that moment, and you're within a time period from Israel being reconstituted as a nation, and you're looking at the signs and you're trying to discern them. There's these super technologically advanced flying military, just beasts that come and destroy. You're going like, yeah, I wonder if that's what he meant. Uh, it's a, that's the interpretation I remember hearing as a young person in church. And it's a very, it's very reasonable to say, okay, if he's seeing an actual vision of the future, John, who um, Joseph pointed out that, you know, there's John, the evangelist who writes, Revelation, John the Apostle, and then you have John the Baptist in the time of Jesus, two different people. Um, but yeah, if, if John is getting a vision of the end of time, and it's, let's say it happens in the 21st century, and he's seeing, he's a first century man seeing helicopters and tanks and nuclear bombs, and he's, he's doing his best yeah. to paint that picture with first century language, he'd say things like locusts that had, you know, uh, the stinging tails like grasshopper or stinging tails like scorpions. I remember that was, you know, that's a certain type of missile or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and again, for those of you who are in the church world, there was specific dates that were big as people were trying to counter, like count this down. There was, there was a couple in the eighties. There was 1993 was a big date. 1997 was a big date. And then obviously Y2K 2000 yeah. was and a big date. And then 2017 for a more fringy group of like numerology counters, 2017 yeah. was a big one. Um, we were talking about that before the before we started tonight, but that was a, a way of counting the seventy weeks mm-hmm. in in Daniel. The book of Daniel. Yeah. Um, Matt Kirkland also points out. He says this reminds me of Harold Camping, who is also somebody. I we're was talk just about. Matt. I was just gonna say that is very locally recent. Harold Camping predicted the end. Yeah. Um, in the Bay Area, there was cars you could see that that had the date. Oh yeah. Listed. There was a. I worked in Morgan Hill at the time and and lived in Gilroy, and there was a billboard that was just all about that. We're going to talk more about kind of doomsday prophecy Mm -hmm. and stuff and the rapture next week. Um, so we'll get into some of that, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great example. And so again, um, Matt's question 
and this is kind of a teaser for a few weeks from now, is how did the first readers understand what John was saying? Because ultimately that's the question you want to answer is what would this have meant to the original audience it's for? Um, but I think we can end, unless there's anything else you wanted to add about premillennialism. Mm, nah. The, the thing that I would say kind of, it's, it's a perfect transition here to closing. One thing we know for sure, and we'll get more into this in, in a couple of weeks, is that the intention of this book was to bring hope to a beleaguered, suffering church in the late first century. And so you, you have a church that is experiencing, depending on when you think the book was written, differing levels of uh, persecution, but they're certainly facing trouble within and without. And this book was written to remind them, Jesus is returning, Jesus is victorious, have faith, hold strong, you got this. Um, and so the one kind of note that anytime we talk about revelation, we always try to make is that if your view of the future is causing you to live in fear, then you're missing something foundational yeah. about there it. There was a, a question that appeared at the very, I think it, you said it appeared even before it started. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's um, a great, great way so place to go. No matter what view you hold as a Christian, you have to trust the work of the spirit. And whether you're an optimistic post-millennialist who believes, man, the nations are going to become Christian and things are going to get better and better, apocalyptic literature and the book of Revelation is meant to give you hope. And even if you are the most pessimistic doom and gloom, premillennialist on the face of the earth, everything you see in the world just looks bad and it's all falling apart, it's going to hell in a handbasket. You, you have to know that Jesus says, look, even if things get really bad, you got to understand things will get so bad. Even the elect would fall away if it were possible. Mm. And the reason why I bring that verse up is because even if you have the most pessimistic view, Jesus says those who are in his hands, he'll preserve. So be faithful until the end. Um, so no matter what these prophecies, the book of revelation, apocalyptic literature are meant to give you hope whether that means God's going to sovereignly preserve his people or the nations will be Christianized, doesn't matter. God's purposes will not be thwarted. The Holy Spirit will do what he sets out to do. Yeah, and so that's, you know, kind of on a note to, to wrap it up is, again, we've tried to present all three of these views as objectively as possible without betraying any bias. And part of that is because legitimately there are brilliant, faithful Bible scholars who are smarter than everyone in this room who hold each of these views. Mm -hmm. So with humility, you go, hey, all of these are, you know, allowable within orthodoxy and faithful readings of scripture can lead you to any of them, um, which is why it remains, you know, an open question. But if your eschatology, which again, for most Christians is going to be a mishmash and, and hopefully, you know, less so moving forward, mm -hmm. if it's leading you to have fear about what's coming, um, the book of Revelation is for you, paradoxically, for the mm -hmm. Western Christian. It's, it's for you to remember Jesus has you. Jesus is going to be victorious, and his, his coming is going to be good, good news for you. And so whatever your view is, you know, unite along solid common ground here and, and don't let it drive you to fear. Yeah, and maybe we can, as we wrap up, you started with a friend asking you, is this the end? Yeah. The Christian answer to that is always yes in a way. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus followers are to live as if we really don't know when he's coming back. And that could be years from now, or it could be tomorrow. The Christian lives with the belief that Jesus is returning like a thief in the night. No one knows the day or the hour. And so we have to be about our father's business. Right. So in a sense, the Christian, I mean, it's so interesting. When is Jesus coming? Soon. Soon. Very soon. Very soon. The last words in the Bible, behold, I'm coming no soon. No matter what, Jesus is always coming soon. And that produces a posture for the Christian, a posture that says, what I do with my finite time here matters because Jesus is coming soon. Yeah. And the faithful post-millennialist, amillennialist, and premillennialist all agree on that. He's coming soon. No one knows the day or the hour. So act like it's soon. Yep. Um, yeah. Amen. That's awesome. Now, next week, we're talking about the rapture. That's pretty spicy. So uh, get ready for that. Get ready for some spice. Um, we're going to talk about doomsday prophecies, 
you know, the end of the world kind of stuff. We're seeing an uptick on that. So we'll get into some of that next week. Some of the questions that came in, I have logged them because they're going to be answered in future weeks. Um, so continue to ask them and we'll, we'll get to many of them in the future. Um, but yeah, until next week, if you've got other questions about eschatology, send them in to me by email or comment them on this video. And yeah, we'll see you next Thursday.